You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. So if you have a Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. We've been in a series for several months now, walking through just verse by verse uh, this little book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. And while you're looking up, let me ask you a question. In the family where you grew up, what was the distinguishing, defining characteristic of that family? In other words, what was your family known for uh, growing up? Maybe you had in your family a little saying like, we're the Johnsons, we work hard. Or we're the Finleys, we don't quit. Or people looked at your family and said things like, uh, your family is so generous. Or your family is so strict. What was the family you grew up in or you're growing up in? known for. I want you to turn to someone beside you and tell them what your family was known for. Just one of the, one of the things your family was known for. Just turn to someone beside you, tell them that. My family was known for moving a lot. I went to a different school from kindergarten until 10th grade every year. So my dad had a job and he had several different jobs and we moved around a lot. So uh, we were just known as the family that, that moved. Well, let me, let me broaden it out. The church is known as the family of God. So think about the big C church, not the local church, but Christians everywhere. How would you finish this sentence? Christians are people who... What would you say is the distinguishing characteristic of Christians as a whole? Okay. Or, or narrow it down a little bit. What about the Orchard Church? What is the defining characteristic of this church? What is this church known for? Or what do we want to be known for? Or narrow it down a little bit more to uh, maybe you're in a community group or a small Bible study. What is that group known for? What would you like it to be known for? Or let's narrow it down even more. You, your life, what are you known for? What's the defining characteristic of of your life? One of the defining characteristics. Or let's expand it back once again to uh, Christians everywhere. What are Christians known for? I think we're known for two things. We're known for what we believe and how we behave. Christians are known as people who believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Savior, the Redeemer, the Holy Spirit, our best friend, We are known for believing the Bible is literally God's word and God answers prayer and things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't pray. We're known for the things that we believe and we're known for how we live, how we behave. And that's why 1 Peter was written. It was written to people, Christians, who were living in a hostile culture, a a culture that did not understand nor appreciate uh, what the Christians believed. And so Peter writes about how do you live in a hostile culture? The key passage or the key verse in 1 1 Peter is chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. It's going to be on the screen or you can look at it. Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. So we're not going to be here a long time. We're temporary residents on this earth and we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth. So we want to bless people while we're here. And yet we don't, get, we don't want to get sucked up into what's happening now to the point that we forget who we are. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, 
which wage war against your soul. So he says, guard your heart. Here's the key verse. Keep your conduct among Gentiles honorable. In other words, don't isolate yourself from people outside the family of God. Don't get in a little holy huddle, you know, the bubble, Christian bubble. Don't remove yourself from friendships with people who don't know Christ. Stay in the game so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So here's what Peter says. Live in such a way that highly resistant people to the gospel, watching your life, hearing you what you believe, end up literally giving God glory on the day that Christ returns. And that takes us to chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. John spoke about this, began to speak about it this last week. But here's what it says. If you look at verse 8, chapter 4, verse 8, it says, above all, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Christians are known as people who love one another. That's what we should be known for. One of the greatest witnesses that we have to an unbelieving world is the fact that we actually care for and we love one another. And one of the poorest witnesses is when Christians argue and fight among themselves. And sometimes it even makes the news. Jesus once said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So one of the ways you actually know you're a Christian is that God is in the process of turning you from a self-centered, inward-focused person to a generous, outward-focused person. And he gives you the desire and he gives you the power to love the people around you. And then he tells us how to do that. Peter gives us four ways that we can, we can love people. He says in verse 7, pray for people. Christians are known for praying for people. Uh, and, and we tend to say, someone asks us, to, would you pray for me? Or they tell us about a problem. And we say, I'll pray for you. Stop right there and say, can we pray right now? Because we have short memories and we forget, right? So stop right there. Can we pray right now? He says, he says here's how you love people. You pray for them. And he says, forgive them. He says in verse 8, love covers a multitude of sin. And I love the way the message paraphrase puts it. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Christians are people who forgive. Now, I want you to look at the person you're sitting next to, both on the right and the left. Go ahead and look at them. You are looking at a really big sinner. And you get to know them well, and they're going to hurt you. You stick around this church long enough, I'll offend you. I'll probably disappoint you and let you down. And Peter knows that. Uh, so he says, he says, love covers a multitude of sin. Love means you forgive people. And he uses that word earnestly, and sometimes it's translated uh, fervently or deeply or intensely. It's a Greek word that means to stretch and sometimes it is a stretch to love people. Some people are just hard to love. Can I hear an amen on that? Some people are just abrasive. They're hard to love. So you've got to stretch to love them. But that's what Christians do. We pray. We love people. Third, he says, Christians are people who open their home cheerfully. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There were not church buildings until about 325 AD that we're aware of. Churches generally met in homes. So Paul, when he writes these letters, he says, the, the church that meets in your home and the church that meets in your home. So Christians opened their home to one another and they gathered in their homes 
for, for church services and traveling missionaries. Inns were, motels were few and far between, and those that were there were dangerous. So missionaries would come traveling through, and they would need a place to stay. And Christians opened their home to them, just like some of our community groups meet in homes. Uh, Jesus, when he traveled, tended to stay in private homes. There's something about being in somebody's home that's like opening a doorway to their heart. So he says, practice hospitality. Question, when was the last time you opened your home to somebody? Do you have an open home? And when you opened your home, did you grumble about it? I I got to get the home ready. Grumble about preparing the meal. Grumbling about cleaning up afterwards. Or grumbling about the people who came in. Right? Christians are people who open their homes cheerfully. Um, Rosanna Butterfield has just written a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And what she says is this. One of the most effective ways in our culture to reach people with the gospel and demonstrate the love of Christ and be able to earn a hearing is to just open your home to people. In fact, you might be surprised what happens when you open your home and invite people in. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 says this, let brotherly love continue. What does that mean? It means do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Wouldn't that be something? Invite someone into your home and it turns out to be an angel? I mean, what could your kids learn? What could you learn? I'll tell you another way to practice hospitality, and that is invite someone to go eat after church and pick up the tab. You invite them to go eat. It's just showing hospitality. So he says, Christians are people who pray. Christians are people who forgive. Christians are people who show hospitality. And then the passage we're going to look at today, Christians are people who serve. Look at verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another, As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you earned a line or circle in your Bible, circle the word serve. In the Bible, in the New Testament, serve and minister are synonymous. Now, we tend to think of ministers as professional clergy, you know, pastors or priests or those who work in a church. But he says this, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another. So God is saying every member of his family is a minister. Serving just makes you a minister. And our tendency is to make ministry something kind of mystical that you have to go to seminary to prepare for. Nowhere in the New Testament are ministers a special class of Christians like clergy. In the New Testament, ministry is using whatever gifts you have to serve God by serving people. A minister is someone who uses whatever gift, abilities, skills, experience that he has, use it to serve other people in the name of Christ. If you're a Christian, you are a minister. You may not be a pastor, but you're a minister. And when you're serving, you're ministering. You ever wonder why God didn't take you immediately into heaven after you accepted the grace of Jesus in your life? Why did he leave you here in this broken world? Part of the reason is he left you here to encourage, to help, to serve, to bless 
people, to share Christ with people. So think of it this way. Long before you were conceived in the womb of your mother, you were conceived in the mind of God. And God determined where you would be born, when you would be born, how long you would live, and he made you for a purpose. He didn't make you just to take up space and consume resources here. God made you and created you to make a contribution, to give something back, to serve him by serving people. You were created to serve and you were saved to serve if you're a Christian. That's why Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What God told Jeremiah, he says to every Christian, before I made you in your mother's womb, I chose you. Before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Ministry is not just what pastors and professional clergy do, people who work in a church. Ministry is when we use our gifts to meet the needs of other people, when we take our skills, our passions, our our abilities, and serve. That's ministry. It's so easy to think, well, the pastors do the ministry, the missionaries do the ministry, and our job is to cheer them on and support them and give so they can do their ministry. And no, it's just the other way around. And let me tell you why this is important. God in his wisdom gifted you and he placed you in the time and place specifically where you are to bless people only you can bless, to encourage people only you can encourage, to serve people only you can encourage. I don't know the people you know. I don't know the places where you work. I don't live where you live. God put you in the lives of the people in your life for a purpose of representing him by serving them and thereby serving the Lord himself. So I want to give you a pop quiz. Didn't you hate when you got pop quizzes at school? I got a a pop quiz with two questions. First question has several parts. The men and women, when you came in, the men and women who were standing at the doors, smiling, greeting you, giving you a, a handout, the men and women who were serving coffee and passing out donuts, are they ministers? Yes or no? Sure, sure. What about the folks over in Orchard Kids who are holding the babies and rocking the babies and changing the diapers on the babies and keeping them safe and secure and teaching the little ones about the love of Jesus and the love of God and, and His grace? Are those folks over there ministers? Yes, they are. Uh, what about the band and the singers who stand up here on the stage and all the tech people there in the back who are using their abilities and talents and skills to help us to worship? Are they ministers? You're losing some enthusiasm on me, folks. What about people who teach the Bible in creative, exciting ways to to students over in Orchard Students? Are they ministers? What about the people who tutor at Ross Elementary School with whom we have an eight-year partnership? Are they ministers? I heard about a couple this last week, last weekend, who went to the home of a widow and mowed her yard. Was that doing ministry? Ruthie and I have a friend who is the who is a Christian, and he is the principal of a middle school. Is he a minister? Yes, he is. What about a Christian who helps people with financial planning? Is he a minister? Yes, he is. What about a Christian police officer? Or a Christian firefighter? Or a Christian attorney? Or what about a, what about a Christian 
um, personal trainer who helps uh, professional, uh, healthcare professionals who help people get well and stay healthy, are they ministers? What about a Christian man or woman who starts a company and grows it and provides jobs for people? Is that ministry? Yes. A Christian minister is a Christian who uses whatever gifts they have to serve others in the name of Christ. Some of you have been to London. You know a little bit about the history of of, of England. When Oliver Cromwell was the Lord Protectorate of England, there was a shortage of silver in the country. And he sent teams of people out throughout all of the country and said, go find silver. And a team came back and said, the greatest quantity of silver in England is found in the cathedrals, in the statues of the saints. And Cromwell said, melt the saints down and put them into circulation. That's what's happening when you use whatever gifts you have to serve people in the name of Christ. You're in circulation. You're a minister. Now, here's the second question in the quiz. How many ministers do we have at the Orchard Church? (laughs) If you called this your church home, would you raise your hand and leave it up? If you call this your church home, raise it. Keep them up. Don't, Don't drop them. Now, repeat after me. I am a minister of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn the person on your left and your right and say those words, I am a minister of Jesus Christ. And as the pastor, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I commission all of you as ministers. Okay? A minister is someone who just uses whatever gifts he has to serve others in the name of Christ. This is what Peter is saying here. Most of the ministry in this church is not done by the staff by me or by the elders. It's done by the people in the church. They're ministers. I was at the hospital uh, several months ago. I went to see somebody who was there, and the, the nurse said, well, you can't get in and see them. I said, well, has, have things gone for bad to worse? And she said, no, they've had so many ministers here, we can't handle another one. Well, I found out her community group was there, 10 or 12 people. They were all ministering, in, and the lady said, we've got too many ministers here. I wasn't needed. Ministry was happening. It was taking place. I can sum up what Peter has just said in this sentence. Every Christian has received a gift and is responsible to use it for the good of others and the glory of God. Let's break that down. Every Christian has received a gift. That's what he says in verse 10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another. You say, what is this gift he's talking about? Before God created you, he decided the role he wanted you to play on earth. And he planned exactly how he wanted you to serve him. And he equipped you with what you need to serve him. He shaped you and he formed you in a way to make your service unique. So you have strengths, you have abilities, something you're good at. That's a gift. Whatever you're good at doing, even the ability to sin is a gift from God. It's just misused. It's just abused. Sometimes people say, I don't have any abilities to offer. My mother used to say, there's nothing I can offer. That's ludicrous. You have untapped, unused abilities, gifts that can be placed to the service of Christ. Question, folks, can you drive? Can you cook? 
Can you sing? You say, not very well. Well, maybe you don't have that gift, but can you talk? Can you garden? Can you drive a nail? Can you sell something? Can you make friends? Can you organize uh, something? Can you smile? No one but you can use your abilities. Only you can use your gifts. And if you're a Christian, you have what the Bible calls a spiritual gift. The word here, translated gift, is the word charisma. We're going to work charismatic or charisma from that word. Charis is the Greek word for grace. A charisma is a gift of grace. Make it plural, gifts of grace. It's charismata, charismatics. If you're a Christian, you have been given a, a charisma, a, a, a spiritual gift, an ability. You received it when you became a Christian. You may receive several while you're uh, walking with the Lord. And because it's a gift of grace, it's not, you can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't work it up. You can develop it. But it's not something you deserve. And the purpose that God gave you a spiritual gift for is that you use it to serve Him by serving other people in a way that brings fulfillment to you and brings good to them and blessings uh, to them. A spiritual gift is a, it's a capacity. It's, it's an ability that God gives you to, so that you can bear fruit in, in the church. It's a tool. It's a way to serve. It's something you're good at. And sometimes when you're using your spiritual gift, you feel the presence and the power of God. You feel the Holy Spirit working in you and things come out of your mouth and you do things and you go, that wasn't me. That was God. I'm not that smart. I couldn't do that. Your spiritual gift is something that gives you a sense of being alive and it's fruitful. It, it, it works. It blesses. It helps other people. And we don't all have the same gift. He uses that word varied in this verse, which literally means multicolored. So here's the picture, multicolored. You're a canvas. God's a painter. And he dips his brush into different colors, gets the mixture that is just right for what he has in mind for you, and he paints your life. And you've probably got a mixture of a lot of different gifts, and no one has the same mixture as you. You are painted in a unique fashion, unlike anyone else who has ever lived. Your education, your upbringings, your passions, your desires, your ability, your, your personality, God wants to use you in a unique way. Your experiences, um, your job experiences, your education experiences, experiences you've had in your family, your painful experiences, God wants to use. Listen, folks, God never wastes a hurt. Never. The experiences that you regret and resent, the experiences you try to hide and forget are the very experiences God wants to use to serve and help other people. That's your ministry in a lot of ways, but you have to be willing to share them. You know, people are a whole lot more encouraged when you talk about how God's grace helped you in a weakness than when you brag about your strengths. And gifts come in all sizes and shapes. God loves variety. God loves diversity. So I create so many different kinds of people in the world. But Peter breaks the gifts down in two categories. He says there are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Look at verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So 
speaking gifts. Maybe that's pastors or missionaries or Bible study leaders or youth workers or children's workers or small group leaders. Could be counselors, disciple makers. Uh, and, and your gift may work in one area, not another. You may be good at teaching, but you can't do anything with kids. You teach adults. Or you can't teach adults at all. Your, your sweet spot is teaching students. Some of you have the gift of evangelism. Sharing Jesus with others is natural for you. It's just natural. That's a gift that God gave you. So he says, if you've got a speaking gift, maybe, uh, maybe you have a gift of wisdom. Maybe you have a gift of knowledge that you use. Maybe, uh, maybe you have a gift of speaking in tongues or interpreting tongues. If, if you've got a gift, he says, don't just tell your opinion. Don't just give your feelings. Speak what is in line with the Word of God, the oracles of God, Scripture truth. And he talks about serving gifts. And we have so many people in this church with serving gifts. They're never on stage. They're not visible. They're working behind the scenes. But this church would be crippled without people with serving gifts. People are just who are just encouraging and helping, they're praying, and they're in the hospitals, and they're caring for the suffering, and they're spending hours listening, and it can be exhausting to serve, which is why he says when you serve, serve with the strength that God gives you. Count on his strength, not your own. Now, which is more important, speaking gifts or serving gifts? What do you think? Let me change the question. Which wing of the airplane is more important? They're both necessary. You've got to have both of them. One is not lesser than the other. And you'll say, well, what does this mean? It means this, that God designed his church to be operated according to spiritual gifts, which means shepherding should be done by shepherd, people with shepherding gifts. The church should be taught by people with teaching gifts. People in the church should be encouraged by people with encouraging gifts. Churches should be led by people with leadership gifts. You go, well, how do I find my gift? I mean, there are dozens of gift inventories and tests online. I don't think that's the best way to find your gift. You will tend to gravitate toward what your gift is. That, that will be an interest that you, you'll have. You find your gift best by just starting to serve. Just find a place and you enjoy what you're doing. Here's the best way I know to determine what your gift is. What is it that when you do it, it makes you feel alive, it's fulfilling, and it's fruitful? It has the effect of blessing other people and, and doing good for them. Gifts are a way of seeing things. Gifts provide a perspective. Gifts tend to, to shape the way we respond. Let me give you an illustration. I heard this many years ago when I was in college. So you got a dinner party and um, someone at the dinner party drops their plate. Now, how do you respond if you're at the dinner party? Well, if you've got a prophetic gift, you might say, you know, that happens when you're not careful. If you've got a serving gift, you say, hey, hey, let me help you clean that up. If you're a teacher, you probably say, well, you know, that plate fell off the table because it was just too near the edge of the table. If you have an exhorting gift, you might say, next time, let's serve the dessert with the meal. If you're a giver, you offer to buy another dessert. If you're a leader, you start telling people what to do. Now, somebody get a mop and clean that up. Somebody go get some other dessert. If you get the mercy gift, you say, that can happen to anybody. Which of those do you identify with? God's gifts are hardwired into us. 
And they're given us for the purpose of helping others in unique, different ways. And you say, well, I think I have all the gifts. (laughs) And if that's you, come up after the service because I'm going to have you sit down with someone with the gift of wisdom and they will deflate you. Because you don't have all the gifts. You got some. You say, what if I don't have the gift I want? That's called gift envy. And that was a problem in the churches, the church in, in Corinth, which is why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 12. All these gifts are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So God has distributed gifts to his people to each one just as he determined. So here's the question. Which gift would you rather have? The one you want or the one that God who loves you and designed you gave to you? And the correct answer would be the one that he gave me. Part of growing as a Christian is learning to embrace and use the gifts, abilities that God has given you. That's the way to freedom. There's great freedom in that. So Every Christian has received a gift and is responsible to use it. He uses that word stewards of God's varied grace. I love the way he puts that. A steward is just a manager, just, just, just a, like a custodian or a distributor, someone who takes something that belongs to somebody else, and they use it and develop it, and, and, uh, and they're entrusted with something. And every manager has to make reports to the owner. And there will come a day when you will stand before Jesus Christ and he will evaluate how much time you spent serving yourself versus how much time you spent serving other people. And on that day, excuses will sound very hollow. Well, I was just so busy. Um, I was preoccupied with working and I I got my goals and and, uh, I was planning for retirement And God will reply, I created you, I gifted you, I called you, I commanded you to serve. What part of that did you not understand? Which is why 1 Timothy 4 says, don't neglect the gift that you have. Every Christian has received a gift and is responsible to use it for the good of others. A lady came up to me one time after a service right here in this auditorium. And after the service, she came up and she said, uh, they found cancer and I'm terrified. And I'm standing there trying to think of what to say and what scripture verse to use. And a woman right over here who overheard her kind of walked up and said, I I heard what you said. I I had cancer too. It scared me to death. And if you'll let me, I'd like to talk with you and pray with you. And I'm willing to walk with you through this. I wasn't needed. God had put a minister right there to serve this woman with something she had gone through. And some of you have been through a horrible pain in your life. And if you're willing to share that, God will use you in a way you can't imagine right now. Some of you have had cancer. You've had an abortion. You've had a miscarriage. You've had a child that you didn't know what to do with. God has given you a a ministry to serve him by helping other people. And I'll tell you why this message is so foundational in our church. In biology, what do you call something that is living off of a body but not contributing to the body? 
a parasite. Nobody wants to be called a parasite. Parasite is not in the list of spiritual gifts. And I want to say this as lovingly as I know how. You may be visiting. You might be exploring Christianity. You might have been wounded and you're grieving. You just might need time and space. I get that. Part of healing is is serving. But if you just need time and space, I get that. I'm so glad you're here. But for everybody else, if you are not serving, you are missing a deep part of the calling of God on your life. And the church is missing out. You see, the Bible calls us the body of Christ, which means if a part of the body is not serving, we're crippled. It hinders me. It cripples me. It cripples all of us. We're like a jigsaw puzzle. And if one piece is missing, it's not complete. So There are no little people in God's church. There is no insignificant ministry in God's church. Do you know the most important light in my house? It's a little nightlight. That when I get up in the middle of the night, uh, I don't stub my toe. You say, well, I can't do my... You may be like that little nightlight. You're critical. You're vital. Every Christian has received a gift and is responsible to use it for the good of others and the glory of God. Which is why Peter ends by saying, all of this is for the glory of our great God. That's the motivation. That's why we serve, to glorify Him. That's the result when we serve. When, why, do we, why do we pray? Why do we pray for people? Why do we for, forgive people? Why do we open our homes? For the glory of God. So I want to say a word to everybody in this room who is serving in some way. If you're leading a community group or you're shepherding a little group of children or you've got a Bible study you're a part of or you're loving some students or you're leading in worship or you're welcoming strangers at a door or you're serving donuts or coffee or in a hundred different ways, you are God's love in human form. You're the church. And I'm so grateful for you because there are a thousand things you could be doing instead of that. And sometimes that runs through our mind. Am I crazy for doing this? Man, I got a job. I got a family. I got pressure. Am I crazy for, for serving? And I just want to say to you, you are not crazy. When you serve the body of Christ, you are part of a movement that goes across time and space on every continent and every culture and has been for 2,000 years. There's not a moment of time, there's not an act of service that you ever give that's ever lost or wasted. You will be used by God. You will delight the heart of God. You will be swept up in the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus. You will make a difference in time that will last throughout all of eternity. You are part of how the kingdom of God is built. You're not crazy. You're part of the body. And I'm so grateful for you. My understanding is that in China, there are churches that when people join the church, the church says, Jesus just got another set of eyes to look with. He just got another set of ears to listen with. He's got another set of hands to serve with. He's got another set of feet to to walk with. You're going to give your life to something. Maybe a sport, maybe a hobby, maybe a career, maybe fame or wealth. None of that has lasting significance. You give your life to serving in the name of Christ. Whatever that service happens to be, you use your gifts to serve other people in the name of Christ for their good and serving God 
and what you do will last forever. No one can take your place. And if you're not involved in serving, what's your reason? Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaiah was a daydreamer. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson was codependent. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and all kinds of family problems. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter had anger problems. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. Zacchaeus was dishonest. Thomas had doubts. The disciples fell asleep while they were praying. Paul had poor health. Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus was dead. (laughs) God used them all. And he'll use you too if you stop making excuses.